Hello and welcome. The name of this podcast series is Taboo Truths and Tales. So why these particular T words are all in the title, you may may want to know. Fair question. It's because this podcast deals with subject matter considered to be taboo. This podcast deals with a person's perception of truths. And this podcast deals with storytelling tales of fiction told by an individual. You need to choose for yourself what you perceive as truths versus tales because very often in real life that distinction is not crystal clear. This podcast is marked explicit. What that means, you should not listen to this podcast if you happen to be under the age of 18 or if someone under age 18 is listening there with you. Explicit means nobody under age 18 should be listening to this podcast series. So here we go. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Some of you may know me by my nickname as Woody. Whatever you want to call me, I welcome you here to this podcast, which is definitely intended for people who are 18 or older. Thank you. Now let's get started. Can you elaborate on why it is you create digital illustrations of men? I was someone who had no idea that I was interested in creating images, let alone digital images. You know, I never took a class in high school or in college that gave instructions on how you pick up a pen or a pencil and you touch it to paper and then you draw a figure, a human figure, an animal, a horse, a dog, a cat, a banana, an apple, whatever. Never had any official training. I picked up software on my computer, deliberately downloaded a, an app called Poser, P-O-S-E-R. So Poser opened the door for me and there, you know, without any prelude, without any training or anything, I just started creating digital images. And how it works just basically is that it's an app. Uh, it comes with what I will refer to as digital assets. It's uh, Think of it as building blocks, like you have, if you wanted to put a banana or an apple into a scene that you're creating, you, you don't need to draw the banana or the apple. You just purchase a digital asset, and that is uh, uh, an object in the digital realm that somebody created of an apple or a banana or a guy uh, or hair on the head of a guy or a car or anything. So these digital assets opened my eyes to possibilities. Suddenly I had no training. Suddenly I'm able to create entire scenes with 
human figures. And I thought, wow, this is pretty special. And honestly, that is how I got started. It was all, I'm self-taught. Eventually, I switched from Poser to DAZ Studio, D-A-Z, and that stands for Digital Art Zone. And DAZ 3D is the brand name. DAZ Studio is the app. I rely on DAZ Studio exclusively. I don't use Poser anymore. I rely on DAZ Studio to do all of my digital illustrations or digital art, whatever you want to call it. So that's how it began. And that was um, roughly uh, one decade and a half ago. So about 15 years later, after I picked up, deliberately downloaded an app to learn uh, the ins and outs of creating digital art, digital imagery, however you want to refer to it, suddenly the years go by. (laughs) Fifteen or so years later, I am where I am now. And that's how it all began. Could you give a description of your creative process? You have distinctive storytelling and characters. How do you make all that happen? I create male characters. I don't do female characters. Uh, If you look online, you'll find the majority of people that are creating digital art or digital illustrations who are also creating human figures. The majority of the work is to create female figures. That's just how it goes. And it isn't uh, being done. The female figures aren't being done by females only. Uh, It's no surprise that male and female people creating digital figures, human beings, are creating mostly uh, female figures. So that's the background. I chose to go uh, exclusively uh, to do male figures. I never, well, rarely will I do, if I have to tell a story and there's a female character that needs to be depicted, I will do that. But Otherwise, no, 100% male-only figures. What I look for is credibility for the character, not for me. I am invisible. I am the artist, but I'm invisible. It has to be when, when the person looks at the picture, the image, the art, they have to find it credible. And so the male figure, the human character, has to be credible. He, the character, has to have uh, a presence that looks genuine, even though the person isn't a person, it's a character, it doesn't exist, it's not a he, it's not a she, it's an it. But for the sake of uh, our discussion, I will say it's a he, it's a him. Um, So the character is to be credible. That's the first thing. And that means um, believable face, uh, believable nose, believable eyes, believable mouth, believable teeth, believable hair, believable ears. You get it, right? All right. And things I put into the character, because it doesn't 
happen automatically. Just like you can't push F5 and you get, oh, there's the character. No, it doesn't work that way. You've got to do work, creative work, to get the character. And so that's something each time, every time I do a character, I need to do work in the creative sense. What color are his eyes? Does he have a big smile? Does he smile at all? Does he have short hair, long hair, brown hair, black hair, blonde hair? You understand, okay? When I create characters, it is in the support of some storytelling. So the character comes first, and then the story follows. And that's just how I work. I, I realize that it's probably more logical to say, well, today I'm going to tell a story about the state of Arizona and this and that happens in Arizona and there's a character and this is what he does in the story in Arizona. Well, that's not how I work. I create the character first and then the story follows. And I have never had, if you want to think of it as a writer's block or artist's, block. I have never hit a barrier where I, I am stuck where I say, well, gee, now, now what do I do? What do I create? What story do I tell? It always flows. The process is I create the character and then I create the story for the character. And I'll tell you how that works. This is even more spooky than, uh, <laughs> than just about anything. But I, I'm going to tell you, I believe the character tells me what he wants in the story. Okay, The character tells me what he wants in the story. So this character is an invention of mine. It's a creation of mine. He didn't exist before I created him. So once I create him, I let him, the character that I created, tell me what is the story that he's going to be in. And, and how this works is fairly simple. I listen to what comes into my head from the character that I created. Each time, every time, I listen in my head to what the character is telling me. Now, these are not vocalized words. It's not recorded. Like, you're, I'm recording this using a microphone. I'm recording my voice. So what do I hear, quote-unquote, hear inside my head? Well, I don't hear anything. It's inside my head. It's not going from the outside world in the acoustic sense vibrations of sound, sound waves vibrating through the air into my ears, and then the brain processes it. No, that's the normal way. How I hear, quote-unquote, is already inside my head, so no ears are needed. Thank you very much. I simply hear, let's say the word hear, H-E-A-R, I hear the character in my head telling me, in my brain, telling me, what he wants for the story. And that's how it flows. The story always comes from the character that I create each and every time. Now, I, I've read about and heard interviews. Uh, Paul McCartney explains that he dreams of complete songs or he dreams of uh, melody uh, or he dreams of lyrics or a concept. And then he, once he wakes up, he puts notes uh, 
uh, musical notes on a guitar or a piano and then creates a song that way. But it comes to him from beyond himself. It's a process that I subscribe to. Well, subscribe. It's a process that I believe is happening in me. And uh, I don't equate myself to Paul McCartney, not at all. The process, however, is similar to the McCartney process, and that is the inspiration comes from somewhere else besides me. It's not me thinking, well, today I'm going to do a character in Arizona and that kind of an example. The character I create first, once I have the character created, credible, looking character, then the character tells me inside my mind what the story is that he wants. So I just let it go. I just let it go. I let the character tell me what the story is going to be. And that simply expressed as the kind of, I would say, spooky process. You can call it the McCartney method. I don't know what you call it. It's just from beyond my brain. It comes into my brain, and there it is. And then I act upon it. The most important thing is that you act upon what you get in your mind from wherever you're getting it. Because if you don't act upon it, it goes away. It's kind of like, oh, I had a dream about an ice cream cone. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> a dream about an ice cream cone. Everyone does that. If you don't do something about it, take action, then so what? You have a dream about an ice cream cone. And that's what you end up with. And eventually you forget the dream. The male characters that you create for your storytelling come across as deliberately unique and intentionally special. Is this merely a visual style choice? Or is there something more behind your process of creating male characters so that they each look unforgettable to the viewer? When I create a character, I consider, I already mentioned, uh, credibility in how the character looks, right? So his eyes, his nose, his face, uh, his arms, his hands, etc. What do I look for in some of the uh, elements of a, of a character's uh, physical body. Now, these don't exist, right? They're simply exclusively digital creations. They don't exist. But in the finished product, it's a male, human male character who has a face, uh, shoulders, arms, hands, fingers, legs, toes, feet, etc. I tend to favor male characters who are appealing to look at. So first, credible, and then secondly, appealing to look at. So when I create a character, I go to the trouble of making him appealing, and that means I don't go with what one might consider an average, everyday-looking kind of guy that you would see you walk outside on the sidewalk and you look at the first guy that passes by, and that will be typically an ordinary-looking, everyday looks on a guy. That is not what I do. I create characters, male, human male characters, who look appealing, and that means they have either what would be considered good looks, they are handsome, they are in good physical shape, uh, you know, if it were in the real world, it would be someone who is 
taking care of their body. They are not uh, overweight. They are not um, in the sense of physically, they don't have scars on their face. They don't have four fingers on their right hand instead of five. You get the idea here. So attractive or appealing is a, is a second element that I put into my characters after they, uh, after I make sure they're credible looking characters. So I tend to find the more masculine looking, let's call it that, the more masculine looking type of physicality in a, in a guy translates very well into the characters that I create. And that means they have thick hands. They Their hands look like in the real world they would be on a guy who does physical labor or who has a good genetic uh, background, who has uh, big hands, thick hands, wide fingers, long fingers, that kind of a thing. And then it translates into other parts of his body as arms that are not too short, not too long, just right, Goldilocks. His uh, shoulders that are just wide enough, just uh, solid-looking enough. You know, the masculine look, uh, so-called, is what I go for. And that translates into every body part. And that means if I'm creating um, a guy, the character's cock and balls, I will make sure that they, his cock and balls are appealing to the viewer. And so that means I'm not going to do, again, following through on this, the so-called average-looking guy's cock and balls. I don't care about that. I don't care what is average. I want appealing. So I just wanted to say that so that you understand. I've had people say to me, well, your characters are not exactly like what men look like in the real world. Well, what they mean is the characters I create are are different. They're, they're exaggerated in their good looks. They're exaggerated in their muscles. They're exaggerated in their uh, masculinity. Their cock size is exaggerated, and their balls size exaggerated. I think you understand where I have gone with this. Average is not of interest to me. It Each character, him, he, it, must look appealing and is, and is average appealing to me as an artist, as a storyteller. No way. So that's what I do. Masculine-looking, appealing male characters. The type of storytelling for which you are well known is, what's the best description for this? Your storytelling is characterized by a certain level of unhappiness and conflict and struggles that characters must endure. Sometimes they survive. Other times not. There can be fatal outcomes or at least outcomes that are not too pleasant for the character. Is this characterization something you would agree with? The stories that come to me for the characters that I create tend to be on the dark side. And by that I mean they are not um, pleasantly upbeat, happy stories. Um, Living happily ever after is uh, 
I understand that, you know, that happens in storytelling, but that is not how I process the inspirations that come to me. So it's it's not that I, as a human being, do not believe in living happily ever after. I think we all want that. But I honestly believe that living happily ever after is not terribly interesting in the storytelling sense. If if I create a, char a character, if I make him in a story, put him in a story that came to me in the inspiration from him into my mind, what do I, why would I put him into a living happily ever after? I don't, I don't see any point. I am not inspired in that way. I don't feel inspiration to tell happily ever after happy outcomes, positive outcomes at the uh, at the end of the story. That isn't how I, it, it isn't my creative process. So as a result of 15 years worth of uh, doing this, I have established a track record of telling darker tales to be uh, you know, to use a couple of words, darker tales, and they are taboo. The kind of uh, these are typically the stories, the tales that I tell typically are in the taboo category because they are dark. They do not have "I lived happily ever after" as the final words of the narrator in the story. No, it's typically you know sad, suffering. Uh, there could be a redemption for the character. He can overcome odds, but typically it's very dark. It's uh, He may make progress, but as I said, typically it's very dark. My inspiration is on the darker side of storytelling. I do believe the world in the real sense is darker than we want to admit Every day somebody uh, encounters something unpleasant. Everyone does. Every single human being de uh, experiences something unpleasant every day. We hope that we will experience something pleasant, joyful, blissful every day, something that makes us happy. We hope for that. But when I create a story that the the character in my mind that I have created, he tells me to create darker type stories. So they are taboo, typically things we don't want to talk about in polite society, things that children don't talk about. Well, we don't want children under the age of 18 to talk about unpleasant stories. But they do. And, and and I tell stories that are meant for people that are 18 or 21 years of age, at least, because they are uncensored. They come directly from the character in my mind to the story. And then I put it together. I use a word processor or I, I write notes in my in longhand on a piece of paper. But the story is dark, not necessarily uh, a pleasant outcome could be that there's redemption on that the character experiences redemption and rescues himself from one bad situation into uh, a different way for him. But typically, as I said, dark, taboo 
tales. That's what I do. And I, you know, another way of thinking of it is men in peril, male peril, men in danger, men at risk. And the risk is it can be life-threatening. It can be uh, potentially a physical or emotional injury to the man in the story. Those kinds of things all come under the category of taboo tales that I create. The first thing I do is the character, and then the character informs me mentally about the taboo tales that I am telling. And if you want to find, I guess uh, the best thing would be to give you the website where my um, illustrations over the past 15 years appear. And that's D'Souza, D-E-S-O-U-Z-A dot Vegas, V-E-G-A-S. So it's D'Souza dot Vegas is my website where you can go and look at uh, the images I've created over the past uh, 15 years or so and many stories uh, also in that in that website and many links to other places online. I am a, online. Well, after 15 years, you tend to be online at different websites quite a bit. So if you want to run a search, go to DuckDuckGo, that's D-U-C-K-D-U-C-K-G-O.com and run a search on keywords, Madeira D'Souza, M-A-D-E-I-R-A-D-E-S-O-U-Z-A. You plunge your characters into a lot of danger and peril. Their very lives get shoved into severe jeopardy. Yeah, it is true. That's the kind of story that I tell. It's the kind of characters I create. They are um, deliberately depicted by me in a story in which... It's not going to be a pleasant outcome necessarily. It, it could be very sad. It could be very hurtful. It could end suddenly and unexpectedly for the character. Do you think maybe you are punishing the characters, making them pay for something that they have done or something they failed to do? You created the characters, so do you think you might subconsciously be punishing yourself since they do not actually exist? Your characters are, in fact, best explained as extensions of your own thinking and desires and personality. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess it is me. I'm the one who's coming up with the, uh, the situations. I, you know, I create a character and I put him into a situation and he suffers or not. And am I punishing him? I don't know. I, it is myself. Of course, I'm the author. I'm the artist. So there's no one else in this uh, process, you know. So it's all self-inflicted. So perhaps it would be accurate to say that I am doing something to myself when I do something to a character that I have created. Because the character did not create himself. I created him. And so what happens to him is directly my doing. You create images in which you, the digital version of yourself, is getting fucked by one of your characters. Have you considered that perhaps this is nothing less than a meta version of yourself fucking you? I guess, but it, it's it's more the the storytelling part that intrigues me. It's not the, I'm not actually getting fucked. It's 
an imaginary thing. It's fiction. It's storytelling. And whether it's me doing it to myself, you know, when they say, go fuck yourself, maybe that's all that I am dealing with here is that I'm telling stories and I'm depicting men and images who are fucking me, but they aren't real. They are not tangible. They don't exist in their own right in the world. Some images depict your character, that is to say, the digital version of you, as he is getting hanged by the neck. The character is being executed, quite brutally in most instances. Are you aware of whether there are any particular purposes or intentions served in the depicting of your character being hanged by the neck until he is dead? Or, maybe more accurately, is this actually you who is hanging yourself? Waiting for yourself to die? At least in the storytelling. Well, no, no, no. In the storytelling, the purpose or the intent is to give somebody, a, a reader or a viewer, the opportunity to watch a person, a character, a fictional character being hanged by the neck until they are dead. And, and whether it's me in the, you know, whether it's my digital version of myself in the scene or it is an actual, uh, you know, separate, separate character from me getting hanged. The purpose and the intent is not to wait for death for myself and and when the viewer or the reader looks at this or reads this depiction i don't think that they are looking waiting rather for their own death it's just something in the looking something in the viewing that's why we do the viewing that's why we do the looking that's why we don't turn away from gruesome scenes that happen before our eyes out in the real world. When you show your character getting his balls cut off, or his cock cut off, is this again an extension of your own thinking or fantasizing? Most men think about protecting their cock and balls from injury. In contrast, you think about how to depict a guy getting his balls cut off, or his cock cut off. Why do you think you do that? Well, again, it's for the viewing, it's for the reading, and uh, the person who approaches what I do, whether it's the storytelling or the imaging, they do so knowing that they're going to come across something gruesome, something violent. The, uh, the, th the theme or the genre of underground art that I rely upon is Bara, B-A-R-A, and that is a very violent, it's a very violent way of looking at life. And I didn't come up with this. It's something that developed in uh, Japan in the uh, 20th century. And so... Yes, it's true. Men do focus on protecting their cock and their balls, and I go in the uh, opposite, I guess you could say, direction, and I depict images, stories of bad things happening to manhood. But it's the storytelling, it's the viewing of the images. It is not, I don't think, wanting that for myself or certainly not wanting it for other people the acid test in real life may be whether someone will read or see a fictional depiction of violence and then go out into the physical world and engage in violent actions do you agree with that perspective oh yes exactly i think um you know again this is fiction that i'm dealing with it's a story made up it isn't true it never will be true the pictures are not real, they are digital renders, and 
I do not want or endorse people who look at what I do and then go out and try and and emulate the behaviors of the characters, the violent behaviors of the characters in real life. I don't want that. And I think most people that look at what I do, like you say, the acid test is whether they are going to just look at it and take it in as an experience, or are they going to go out after they take in the experience, are they going to go out and create mayhem or violence in the world? I depict the insane and the ir- irrational because I long for rationality. I guess that's one way I can put it. Whenever you create a male character, he may be inspired by some real-life man you have actually seen with your own eyes. Yeah, and I tend to go for, you know, the look, not the behavior. Like if I see someone who is a guy who is bullying someone else out in real life, I don't I don't feel inspired to come back and then do a story about bullying. But all the time, every day, I would say, I look out at guys in the real world that I see with my own eyes, and I, I don't know, memorize, is that the word? I memorize what they look like, and then I try and create or recreate, approximate what it is I saw, what it is I memorized, in, in, a, in the storytelling way and in the artistic way. You can choose to create any kind of male character you want. Total freedom, no boundaries holding you back. You seem to choose to create male characters who genuinely are no more well-behaved compared to real-life men we may meet every day. It probably is accurate to state that you create men who are greatly flawed, who are not very civilized at all, and just maybe it turns out that they are on the path to injuring themselves or destroying themselves directly because of personal choices they make. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, much of human suffering and pain, emotional pain, you know, we're sad about the outcomes. It comes down to our own choices, our own behaviors. It's mostly, I think, self-inflicted. And it is a path to injury of oneself. It can be. It also can be a path to self-destroying if, if we are not careful. And I think that is part of the reason for my I guess you could say bizarre storytelling and images that are controversial and violent and uh, not not pro-social. I think the reason is to illustrate that maybe it's time to think carefully about the choices we make in life so that we don't injure ourselves or we don't destroy ourselves. Or, you know, maybe that's just too much philosophy. Maybe I just do what I do because people find it uh, the storytelling and the images that is pe- because people find it enjoyable to look at and to read. It may be no more complicated than that. Find out more about this topic. Go online to the website taboo truths and tales.com. That's taboo truths and tales.com. Taboo Truths and Tales is hosted by Madeira D'Souza. That's me. Thank you.